everybody. Oh, Welcome. Oh, God. God damn it, Marcus. That's going in. That's staying. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Commune Podcast. My name is Alec, and I'm joined with... Marcus Westfall, a.k.a. Mars West, depending on where you know me from. Yeah, he was on season one of the podcast. It was a very popular episode. Thank you for joining me on the the inaugural episode of uh, Commune Crafting, a show where we kind of sit down, create things, whether it be subclasses, spells, items, monsters, or in this instance an adventure so i thought that it would be cool to kind of sit down with different uh creatives in the community and sort of build stuff together uh this one is definitely going to be a multi-parter because we're not going to (laughs) create an entire adventure in the course of uh 35 40 minutes we're not gods (laughs) but uh we're just very good at pretending to be them we exactly that that's like the whole (laughs) the ethos of being a dungeon master like i am god but uh yeah so what's your experience with homebrew and and kind of creating things like that sure so when i first started as a dm i was all modules um because that's how i learned was watching another crew play a module so i ran my curse of strahd campaign which was a learning experience it went well enough i quickly learned that curse of strahd is Completely different than every other module that's ever been made, oh, 100%. which was simultaneously a cool discovery and a very disappointing discovery because it meant that I wasn't really going to touch modules after that. Yeah, yeah. So ever since then, I've pretty much always used another idea as a basis or completely homebrewed. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much the same. I like to take the idea of something or an element of something and take it and make it my own. I think that there, I, I've used a lot you know whether it be like the the tyranny of dragons story arc from wizards and kind of made that my own in in home games and shit like that but yeah i i I definitely have had a similar experience with curse of strahd and it being a (coughs) experience um (laughs) but yeah i think i think making an adventure you're able to kind of cultivate more interesting dynamics and relationships with your players and uh yeah it's just fun at least to make something yeah in my experience too when when you run a module it's it's unfortunately kind of railroady yeah because there there's just certain plot beats that you kind of have to hit unless it's built in a unique way like curse of strahd was where it was more open world yeah you can kind of make it work i mean even from personal experience you played in the the campaign that i ran that took place in london here on earth Yep. And I'm pretty sure over the course of running that game, I changed the ending five or six times, <laughs> which would not have been an option if I was trying to run a module. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so I think that, I think we're hitting something there. I think the idea of kind of like an open world module or, or like one shot adventure is kind of the way to go. Yeah, the, the opportunity for the players to go off and kind of do whatever they want is a really freeing feeling I've found. Yeah when it feels very like this is a thing we have to do players lose interest really fast because in their heads they're like oh i know what the ending is so what's the journey it's not an obligation it's a chore (laughs) Mm -hmm. i i never i always lose translation when it comes to being like okay i we can start here and that'll be fine it will never end where this book ends oh yeah like or or like (laughs) having to like tie all of the bullshit if i did homebrew something it would just be a nightmare, like having to make it all connect and, and make sense at the end of the day. Right. <laughs> so I, for me, I think that the two most important bedrocks when it comes to an adventure are setting and theme. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, yeah, I'd say that that is the most important thing because that's what makes one campaign differentiate itself from another. Mm-hmm. Like, I think uh, to use another personal example, one of the reasons our group took a very long break from fantasy um, was because we kind of felt we played it out, for lack of a better term. Yeah, sure. Um, it was all dragons and wizards and woo big bads and that's great that's a great basis for a story but it can get a little bit uh it can feel redundant when that's kind of all it ever feels like it is you need like a progression yeah so that's why we took a stab out and tried the the wild west where we were kind of bandits and villains almost and then we tried london where we were detectives working on small cases so Mm -hmm. it wasn't a world ender it grew into that, but that wasn't the original plan. <laughs> it became a world ender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I agree. So yeah, finding finding something specifically unique in theme and setting is definitely very important because love you Forgotten Realms, but we've been doing it for, what are we on, 40 years now? <laughs> I was going to say, like 70, 72, 73, something like that. We've been chilling in this world for so long that it's it's nice to to break out of that, do something new, even if you're doing the Forgotten Realms, but with a fun twist. That's that's already something more. Yeah. Well, and well, even in in the context of what Wizard has been doing, I think they've been doing it better in the last couple of years with like uh, incorporating Wild Mountain, the Critical Role campaign setting, into their uh, canonical books, because uh, it's just a break from the norm, right? And then kind of expanding more and giving DMs tools with like Xanathar's Guide, Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes, Volo's Guide to Monsters to build their own worlds. I think that those are really kind of uh, essential like starting points to to being able to craft a setting and eventually craft that theme. Uh, so we, we kind of decided that this would take place in, in my homebrew world of, of Aosha. But there are multiple continents, most of which you, as your character in my last campaign, Lester Lawson, Paladin hero slayer of the scale tyrant uh uh what what continent do you think has the most to be explored uh probably drukamesh drukamesh okay see i big that's just true drukamesh is huge there's a lot of technological variation there's magic there's tech there's monsters there's uh at least in our encounters a lot more uh variety in the races Flesh felt very Middle Earth to me. Very Tolkien, yeah, yeah, very. Because uh, like the dwarves run this city, the elves are over here, the humans are screwing up everything because that's what we do best. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, there was the when we got to go to Drukamesh, there was so much more variety. Yeah, yeah, okay. I had a thought of Zendrix, maybe. Uh, New Zendrix is definitely rife with possibility. Um, because my idea is maybe the fall of original Zendrix. Oh, that could be a solid campaign setting. Because then it's like things go buck wild. Because I, I like Zendrix has always been kind of laid in this mystery of like how did it become barren and 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 so desolate in the way that it is now. But then part of me as a dungeon master and as a storyteller doesn't really want to concretely kind of make that point, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think I think keeping it vague is good. And the other the only other difficulty I see in telling a narrative like that and making it not like a one-off, uh, you, yeah. you could definitely make a solid one-off out of that. Mm-hmm. But if you were to make a, a longer scale adventure, uh, you have to be very creative as a DM to keep things interesting when functionally 
the players know how it's going to end. 100%. Right, where it's like set in the past and it's like a finite fixed point in time. No, mm-hmm. that's fair. Okay, so we have Drew Kamesh. Drew Kamesh is, I definitely, and there's a lot of, uh, in Drew Kamesh, there are a lot of different avenues for for stories to tell. You have like you have the Hexers hunting monsters, you have the Magus Arcanum, which, which is uh, directly out of there. Uh, the production of like Warforged and 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 that how instrumental that is to to the continent's function. I guess this kind of dives us into like the 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 conversation of theme. What what theme or themes kind of stick out to you in Drukamesh? My my gut instinct for a narrative on Drukamesh would be by the nature of how people are because mm-hmm. of the variety on this continent i feel there would almost certainly be just massive conflict about how things are dealt with which we encountered a little bit even in the story with people being almost completely out of work because the warforged were actively too efficient yeah there uh, yeah that's an interesting aspect of drukamesh where the uh the king and his government created the warforged with a combination of dwarven and elvish magic called the divanthier and uh, they're a perfect labor force. They don't need to sleep. They don't need to get paid. They're programmed. They kind of do whatever. So now there's this big uh, uh, fiscal and uh, economical disparity between like the upper class and people on the streets that are just kind of like striving to to make shit work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's you. That's that's an inherent conflict right there. People versus government. And then there's also I would imagine. As, as a society like that progresses, you get the Warforged becoming more and more efficient. Mm-hmm. You've got a fighting force of these things. Why need the Hexers? Why need the Magus Arcanum? These people who were previously handling these problems, yeah. now there's machines everywhere. So there's conflict amidst the people in the government, the organizations in the government, perhaps even the organizations in each other as they maybe blame each other for letting this happen in the first place. So I'm seeing a lot of like political intrigue. I think when you have all these very, very different and very interesting factions, it behooves you to utilize them in, in, a, oh, in an interesting way. <laughs> yeah, no, I told and, and I think political political intrigue is not something that Wizards has necessarily done a lot. Yeah, it's it's almost always like man versus god or is all the big yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the big yeah. D&D stories. And I think I think the only time it's really been explored deeper is is uh Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Yeah, that's where, very like faction versus faction. Yeah, you kind of choose who to work for and things like that. I like the idea of kind of the people of Drukamesh versus like establishment and the warforged and like the king yeah, there's, there's a lot of room for a DM to play around because you have, what are there, four factions functionally? The the government, the people, if you want to call the people a faction, yeah. the uh, the Hexers, the uh, Magus Arcanum, possibly the Engineers, if that's a whole other faction, the people making the war. Yeah, it, it would be like a subsidiary of, of the government, but yeah, they would be kind of their own because uh, you guys didn't really get to explore it too much in the initial campaign, but yeah, the the wielders of the Divanthir are very kind of secretive, almost seen as like like a cultish type organization. They they don't like give out the information of how their magic works. Uh, they create the Warforge and they pass their magic onto their children, and their children don't have a choice but to work in that position and and keep the secrecy of that magic. 
because if we right. get into the hands of of everybody, then you know they're ne- they're out of work or they're they're not as inherently special. Right, and from a player perspective, that right there could be a whole side quest of like, are the uh, are the engineers just sneaky about it because they have to be and they don't want the word to spread, or are they up to something? Mm, I'm seeing threads of something very interesting. Yeah. From the DM perspective, if I was running that story, I wouldn't plan for either. I would 100%. let my players like figure some stuff out and maybe then start gearing them towards whichever direction they've decided. Yeah, you and I are both very improv-based dungeon masters, so I think like mm-hmm. in in what because for you guys listening, this is going to come out of as like a, a PDF document uh, that that I will put out at some point on some format. Uh, but yeah, I think that should be in there where it's like you kind of there are different ways for things to go because uh, right yeah I think something that uh, building building a campaign setting like this from the ground up one thing you I think it would be wise to do is make every organization as gray as possible yeah yeah like you don't want one to be like the shining beacon of the good folk and one be like the evil government like that's that's boring yeah yeah. You want the government to be a little scummy, but also helping the people. You want the hexers to be these defenders, but maybe they're doing a little something, something on the side to become stronger. Yeah. Like yeah. there's so many different threads you could take to make your factions interesting, but a little off. So your players don't have an easy option of who to choose. Yeah. And I think, especially since this episode is tackling like that demon setting, I think something like imperative to, to knowing your setting, you need to know the people and the organizations that are in it. So mm-hmm. I think like and some good NPCs. Oh, especially good NPCs. Very and, likable and hateable ones on all sides. Because I think and yeah, and I think that like when you flesh out the people that are in that world, it's going to be easier for you if this campaign does go off the rails, which we're playing Dungeons and Dragons, it's probably gonna go off the rails. You kind of know how those NPCs will react. You you'll know mm-hmm. how your villain will kind of handle things. So yeah, I think I think that'll be next this next episode is like us kind of like locking down these organizations and like their goals and blah, 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 all this stuff. Yeah. That would be good. Hell yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's so much space. And I mean, something I learned personally from uh, running the London campaign, I, I tried to give you guys that, but I hadn't fleshed out all my organizations super well. Yeah. And so a funny problem we ran into for the whole campaign or I ran into more specifically was one of the biggest players on the board was this, uh, fellow by the name of Alzend Bloodmire, who My, sounded yeah. like a monster. Please do he, it. Please do it. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you have to. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Father Alzend Bloodmire. It's a wonderful pleasure to meet you. Whenever that voice would pop up in that <laughs> campaign, it's like, not, mark me down as scared and very scared. Because <laughs> you never know what's going to come. But that was what I had so much fun with that because up until over the halfway point of the campaign, Alzend was never anything but super helpful to you guys. But you did never, I never trusted him because I gave him that voice. Because you gave him that voice. Yep. (laughs) His name is Alzend Bloodmire. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's not a good dude. I had a blast doing that. Yeah. Right, and that's that's something. If I if I had a little more time to flesh it out, I probably would have also had like one of the churchgoers be a more reasonable fellow that you guys might trust a little bit more sure, to kind of sure. dichotomy that. 
and i think that that's something especially with the with uh basing this adventure whatever it seems to become off of a campaign that we just finished a year and a half long game in mm-hmm. we know a lot about these organizations we know a lot about you know the world and the state of it so and i think i think for this it would make sense tensions may be running high more post tiamat's destruction and post oh, yeah uh the destruction of the weave uh for everybody listening the climax you know what mark you tell it sure you um, lived it you did it <laughs> it's true i talk so, so much on the interview side of this where i'm just like you know what just take over co-host <laughs> yeah the uh that whole adventure was leading up to uh a dragon cult bringing tiamat back um and in the midst of uh busting tiamat out her cultists also gave her the opportunity and she took it to eat the god of magic Oopsie and absorb doopsie. her. Um, so when we were going up into the final battle, we had a decision to make. Do we kill Tiamat and in turn kill the god of magic and screw up magic for everybody? Or do we bind Tiamat back to the Nine Hells where she was originally and corrupt magic with hell, basically? <laughs> right. Uh, we figured chaos was a smidge better than hell magic. So we went ahead and killed her. Hey, well, what's up, <laughs> demons? It's me, your boy. Mm-hmm. So we went and did that. So now, going forward, uh, given that the god of magic and the weave is broken, magic still works, but it's unpredictable. It's weird. Um, it's in its infancy of flux. The The next campaign that we're going to start off is, is about 30 years uh, after the events uh, of Tiamat's destruction and the, the kind of destruction of the integrity of the weave because i don't think i don't think it's fair to say magic is gone um but it is it is so much harder to gain access to and it is so much harder to control yeah the the remaining wizards pretty much we in our epilogue banded together to solidify it as much as they could and start figuring out how to keep utilizing it so there's a lot of room there for obviously we're going a certain direction but for a, a new someone else going into this uh you could just as easily make something else up magic's weird now that's the only log line you need (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i think if we're kind of leaning more into uh the wielders of divanthir being super kind of like cryptic and and zealous with their abilities uh people might want to infiltrate the warforge and kind of see if they can take control of that magic Right, now that there's more opportunity, I mean, there's and there's so much room for you to kind of mix up who's in power, who's gaining power. With this big of a change in the world, yeah. there's going to be an inevitable power back. Um, and you as a DM could choose who's in the most power right now. Yeah. Um, one oh, tidbit. aspect. Yeah. One tidbit from uh, the campaign we're gonna, about to go into the character I'm playing is from a, ma- a family that manufactures firearms mm-hmm. because gun or guns are the new magic kind yeah. of to the yeah. layman. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think like very similar to like civil war era United States, like guns are security. If you 
weren't able to defend yourself with your your magic like you you might as well have a gun and i think the the construction of like firearms and like siege weaponry and black powder based weapons is is like it's all the rage right now right you can you can take so much from history with with a campaign like this because like i mean even just think back to the various uh, industrial big jumps we've had as a humanity we got into petroleum and oil because there weren't enough whales to kill anymore Yay. so like magic's gone what's the next thing yeah uh because the manticores aren't gone right it, it's steam and it's black powder and it's uh kind of you know there are other things but i'm gonna keep those kind of close to the chest because we haven't even started the new campaign yet so i don't That's want true. marcus to know too much yeah and there's also so many so many questions you can ponder as a dm like yeah um where do the people who are staunchly for magic still where are they at are they moving to try and figure out how magic works now or are they trying to force magic back into the bubble that it used to be even though yeah. that probably won't work there's a lot to work with yeah and i think and, and even implementing that into the different organizations like think about how will the hexers and because the hexers uh are an homage to like witchers they're all blood hunters you know is hemocraft magic affected the same does it come from the same source uh right. how does how does the magus arcanum's motto and and mission statement change in the last three decades yeah like there's what, also what now that... and what stays the same right and even even uh, you probably know a lot more than i do about this particular topic but you then can also futz with what kinds of magic have been affected oh yeah is it just magic studied by wizards are the sorcerers still fine basically because theirs is inborn how are the warlocks doing how many new gods are like i can have new minions because magic's harder to come by yeah and, well and i kind of i kind of alluded to it uh in in that in your epilogue specifically when you yes. were talking with your uh your boy toy nadal it's true uh, <laughs> the excitement just yes talking about um, my hubby man my husband <laughs> um <laughs> but he, he kind of mentioned that that the the celadrin the the elven gods and their magic may not be as overtly or adversely affected because they don't come from the same point they don't come from mistra right so there's this interesting kind of push and pull of like who comes into power more, whose power is kind of taken away. And I think implementing that more implementing that idea in more of a like the little guy versus kind of big government and like the the warforge and all that is a really interesting uh, uh byproduct of that. Definitely. So many options. So many options. So <laughs> we have we have multiple cities in Drukamesh. Do we want to stick stick it right in the capital? Because I think if this were if this is to be like a one shot adventure or like a two three shot, I think it's important to get that like big city kind of like in your brain. Yeah, I think uh, depending it's it's so dependent on how long you want the campaign to go. Yeah. If you want it to be a relatively short situation, I would say keeping it in the capital works just fine. Because then you can make the city kind of as big as you need it to be. Um, I well, think a lot of D and D. What were you gonna say? No, I, well, and I think the capital is big enough to sustain like a, a, a an adventure that would take four or five sessions. Right, and I think a lot of a pitfall a lot of DMs fall into I've found is you you give your players what is 
described or in theory a very large location but that location is completely dependent on how much space you give your players to explore yeah so you could absolutely run an entire campaign in a city if you wanted to i mean we functionally did it for london yeah Um, you guys only left a couple times but yeah the um i think for a relatively short uh situation yeah keeping it in the capital city is probably wise and maybe maybe have like a forest planned outside if you have like a hexer mission or something but that'd be about as far as i would go yeah i was gonna say there, there's really not much that I, I could imagine but if you if we're jumping between organizations and organizations may have tasks for you to complete to gain favor or 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 what have you i think that operating in the capital city of Ulkes will be kind of like the primo thing to do because then it's just like if you understand the capital of a city you pretty much understand the rest of everything Right, and then I, was, I haven't explored a whole lot of Drukamesh yet, um, but as far as I understood it, the capital was kind of the only really like big settlement. Everything else was towns and villages. There, there are a couple other big cities. Uh, you played it in a one-shot. Uh, Valenro is a bit of oh, a, yeah. a bigger settlement uh, uh, that's kind of built off of the firearms empire uh the capital city of ulkas is, is definitely the largest followed by valenro and then you have uh port city bellamar uh and then yeah the rest are kind of like are, are definitely smaller sediment settlements but but definitely not like tiny village sure yeah i think uh yeah it's so it's so dependent on and especially if we're just kind of building a setting in a campaign like story basically if a dm wants to go far and wide they can go 100 make you some can, stuff up yeah for sure i think i think kind of taking taking what you're given and then expanding on it isn't a bad thing uh and i think leaving an adventure akin to a curse of Strahd open to that is very important um yeah now theme we kind of got into like the political intrigue what are other because i feel like with with fifth edition especially horror has been done a lot like we've got curse of strad we got tomb tomb of alliance oh my god yeah curse (laughs) of annihilation the new icewind dale rhyme of the frost maiden that's coming out um you know that's three big horror titles you know, Ghost of Saltmarsh, as much as it is a swashbuckling pirate adventure, it's a bit of a horror. Uh, do you think anything adds to political intrigue? In terms of just theme? Yeah. I mean, it's it depends on how nitty-gritty you want to go with it. Um, an easy example to pull from is uh, early Game of Thrones, almost an entirely political adventure. Um, there was fighting, but the politics was what kind of drove the narrative. So I think class disparity would be a a massive thing to play with here between the government, the people who are a bit displaced, the mages who don't know what the heck's going on anymore, the hexers who are maybe unsure if they're even still necessary given the advancement of technology. Um, So there's a lot to work with uh, in terms of inequality. If you want an exterior problem, you could certainly add a man versus nature aspect, I think, um, as the, the region maybe adjusts to 
if if magic's not as prevalent, then is there now more of a monster populace? If that was kind of something people relied on to get rid of the monsters, that could definitely um, be an interesting like inciting incident versus like. Right, there could almost be a, a siege aspect to things where people are afraid to leave the city because there's just more monsters. Yeah, yeah. But then I worry about it becoming too big, right? Like, if we want to focus on, you know, the political intrigue and the, the disparity of of the lower class and kind of the um, the issues that the autonomy of Warforged and, and, and the working class that they've kind of destroyed... I think then incorporating like, oh, here's our, here's a Remoraz just because, like it does doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, honestly, if I was if I was running something like this, I'd probably just use the monster threat more as a random uh, attention builder rather than like a main function of the narrative. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think with setting too, especially putting it in Woolcast, the monsters don't make as much sense just because they're not as big of a problem there. Yeah. The city is super fortified. Um, so then what's, for our setting, what are our organizations? We have the Magus Arcanum. We have the Hexers. We have the government. We have the uh, Divanthir wielders. What am I missing? The the working class. And mm -hmm. ooh, we could throw Fiper's hand in there. Yep. The local mage, or the local... Thieves uh, Guild. Thieves Guild. Um, I, think, I think six is... That's probably a good bunch. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> now that we've got this first episode going, I'm I'm thinking hard. <laughs> so then do we want it do we want the theme to kind of evolve from like political intrigue to like big brother warforged are our enemies <laughs> or or is that kind of like the moral ambiguity we want to set? I think that's, that's is this like I robot the, or Wally. I think that right there is one of the ways you make uh, either the engineers or the government gray. Yeah. Um. Because if you want, you want, you want all, you want everyone to be a viable choice in theory at least. Correct. Um. So you, I would think you either give uh, the government a little bit of a police state thing going on mm. with the Warforged, or you do the hoarded secrets of the engineers to be like. What are they hiding? Yeah, it's um, kind of mystery of like, how do they do it? Right, because you want you want everyone to not just you. You don't want it to be the easy answer of uh, screw the government. That's 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 easy. Well, it's just been that's, done before. You know? Yeah, that's like, half D and D campaigns. Right. Um, the king is evil. We got to stop him. It's it's, it's <laughs> right. very common. Um, yeah, it can be done well. It's just you you if you want variety. You, it's it's you want to make the king also necessary why is he police stating yeah um or like yeah you, you you take the different organizations like that so say the hexers um they're this functionally autonomous group of very powerful warriors yeah who uh at least uh the way the ones we encountered in our campaign seemed to feel underappreciated so um maybe their problem is they're on strike or something yeah fuck um, it <laughs> take these monsters asshole <laughs> it's like you guys aren't going to appreciate us i don't know that maybe that owl bear eats your sister what are you gonna do <laughs> well 
I hope you the... said you loved her before she left because she's gone. <laughs> so maybe they're extorting the city, but like uh, maybe your players find out that like, oh, they get paid barely anything for risking their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they seem gruff and maybe a little too uh, in people's faces, but they're like that because well, they get what other option do they got? Right. Um, you know, they're just kind of fucked over. Mm hmm. So there's. Interesting. We got potentials. I, yeah, the hexers almost seem like the hardest group to make like scummy because they're they're kind of putting their lives on the line. They're just like, we're a, here to help you, dude. Right. It's it's hard to kind of make them bad. The others, I don't the others seem really easy to me because a bunch of mages hoarding knowledge. Uh that's very easy to make evil. <laughs> the Viper's hand wants to like use the Warforge for their nefarious deeds. Like that's pretty easy. The government mm -hmm. wants to subjugate the people with said Warforged. Right. You know, so it, then but yeah, the, the more interesting side would be uh where well, how do we make everyone look positive? How do we make the players want to side with these less obvious to side with organizations? Mm -hmm. Well, see, and that that'll be interesting when we expand on our inciting incident mm -hmm. and our NPCs in the next episode of Commune Crafting. Oh, snap. Did you did you see that sick segue? <laughs> that Masterful. sick end to this wonderful first episode? <laughs> Marcus, thank you for, for jumping in and joining me on this, uh, this new and scary adventure. It's always lovely always to have it. you. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you back in the next one, and... Uh, yeah, that's it, I guess. <laughs> Until next time, everyone. <laughs>